Hello and welcome to the Interior Design Business, the monthly podcast produced by the Interior Design Community for the Interior Design Community. As you may be able to tell, we are recording this episode in front of a live audience of designers gathered here as part of the Chelsea Design Quarter Springtime Sessions at the fabulous Rocker London Gallery. My name is Jeff Hayward and I'm here with my co-presenter, Susie Rumbold, Creative Director of Tasuta Interiors, as we explore what success means in interior design. Success, like beauty, is firmly in the eye of the beholder. For interior designers, it goes without saying that success involves happy clients and being paid to create beautiful, functional interiors. But in reality, what does this look like? What really constitutes success for an interior designer? Is it fame or is it fortune? And in the end, does size really matter? Today, we are fortunate indeed to be joined by two indisputably successful interior designers, David Goodman, COO of the renowned David Collins Studio, and Monique Tolgard, co-founder and head of studio of the Tolgard Design Group. Welcome to you both. Hi. Thank and you. welcome to the interior design business. Indeed, we have two terrific guests with us for this discussion. David, can you introduce yourself and tell us about your role at David Collins Studio? Uh, hi, I am David, and I think I've got the best job at David Collins Studio because as Chief Operating Officer, I look after everything other than really the design. So contracts, legal, financial, IT, HR, uh, front of house, all of that kind of stuff. And um, what that means is I genuinely never have any idea what's going to happen from one day to another. <laughs> so the variety is amazing. Um, I work with the most extraordinarily talented people. Um, and yeah, that's, so that's what I do. And how big is the studio these days? We are about 56 people at the moment. And it's kind of been around and about that level for, for a while now. Excellent. And Monique, what's your story? Stefan and I met um, 23 years ago on a film set, so it's not exactly the short story. Um, and I was an actress, he was the first AD, and our careers were not successful. Um, and we needed a plan B. He was um, producing um, feature films, I was making documentaries. Um, I went into a review with my boss and he put down his, um, the, the, what I'd written. And he went, your writing makes me lose the will to live. <laughs> and I thought, this is not good. My whole job is writing. Um, and I read in House and Garden about this new crop of designers who'd come out of Inchbald um, and who were designing. And Stefan and I were designing our first house together. And I said, you should take a sabbatical. You should go to Inchbald. You should do this. Um, and two years later, I was writing um, a proposal for my long-suffering boss about slow cooking, and I realized that my husband had a much better job than I did, and I jumped, and then we put all of our eggs into the basket, and that was um, 15 years ago. So we started a studio, that turned into um, three showrooms, that turned into a contracts department and um, a burgeoning uh, design, product design depart department as well. And you are head of interior design at Tollgard? 
yes, hard fought, head of interior design. When I started, I answered the phones. I went from being head of a department um, with my long-suffering boss to being the most junior person, and I've worked my way up. It's a wonderful story. It is Thank a wonderful story, but also it makes me wonder what Stefan does. He's the creative director. Um, I have to say, even though I know my own mind, um, I really value what, um, what he says. He runs, he, he's in charge of every department. I'm quite lucky that I have my dance space in the studio. I wonder if we could begin by maybe looking at the notion of fame in interior design. How important is it for interior designers to be well known by the public, Monique? I've struggled with this question. I think for some people it's really important if that's a measure of their success and if they're really um, performative and they enjoy public recognition. I think it's important to do what you love doing. And actually, if you really enjoy a mode of engaging with the public, whether that be TV or Instagram or radio or... Um, you know, any other forum, and you achieve success in that, then that's fantastic. I think there are some much quieter interior designers whose work is incredible um, and who maybe don't court fame in the same way. Yes, they, 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 they're more just great in their approach. But also mm. I think the, the question, I suppose it's almost a, a trick question in a way because it's not really the public that you want to be well-known by. You want to be well-known by your target clients. Yeah. You know, actually, you really don't care who, you know, from... But I suppose by being well-known by the public, you have a much yeah. wider group yeah. of... Yeah, there's an interesting, interesting I, observation. I think if, if you're well-known as a byproduct of having done brilliant stuff, then I think that's fine. I'm not sure that going out and looking for it is, uh, is particularly... Uh, a good strategy. I think the public will see through that. But I think from a business perspective, what is very helpful is not necessarily being famous, but having designs that are famous. I think we, we've, we've over the years, designed uh, some pieces that uh, well, have the, the some... Well, the blue bar. For example. Yes. And I, I think the blue bar or the Wolseley that still stand the test of time, those being out there, that really helps from a business perspective. Um, so I... I think it's that rather than, you know, being on a chat show on the telly. Yeah, so it's, it's the work that stands for itself. That's interesting. Mm. And also, I think probably fame is, is measured in totally different ways, isn't it? I mean, you can be a top designer in house and garden or you can be on TV, can't you? And again, I think it's your, your audience and who, you know, if, if they really resonate with you, then absolutely, to your point, you will you will achieve recognition. Mm. Um, I think fame is one of those very dangerous things to try and go for. Um, you know, speaking as an actress previously, it can fade. And so I think if, if, it's, if it's something that you, you know, if it's a, fine if it's a box you want to check, but it needs to keep getting checked. Um, my, my father always sort of called it, a, you know, one of those relentless, pursuits and I think it's much better to look down rather than look up because there'll always be someone more famous than you. Is it possible to achieve public recognition then? Do you think it's essential to have a sort of house style, an instantly recognisable style? Or going back to the point you were just making about being more discreet and designers doing great work, 
you know, in order to, for, for, for any designer to be recognised instantly, do they always have to be producing the same thing? You don't want to be a one-trick pony, and the danger mm. of that is, you know, if you're all, you know, your flavour of the month this week, but what's going to happen well, yes, next if week? Yes, the, the trick goes so, out of style, you're yeah, in big trouble. I think we... Mm. I think that we have certain studio qualities that people will recognise that are about layering, that are about quality, that are about materiality. Um, but I don't think... Uh, there are certain designers that I won't name. You can look at their work and you can go, that's, you can tell who it is straight away. I think we try and put our qualities onto whatever the brief is that the client wants us to deliver. And that means that, uh, you know, we can have um, the Nobu Hotel that we've just designed that has a very relatively modern aesthetic um, and the Wolseley that has a very different aesthetic. They've both got all the layering, they've both got all the material, they've, they've got all of those classic David Collins studio elements, but they don't look at all the same. the same, and I think that's really important. Yeah. Because the designer has to be invisible, sometimes. The, there's a tension, no? I think the there are several people in our studio invisible. who might disagree with you on that point, <laughs> no, but, but I know, but, I know what you mean. But to allow the, the Nobu Hotel to have its own identity. Uh, 100%, yeah. yeah it, it's what, what is the, you have to deliver the client's brief. If you don't deliver the client's brief, and if you don't deliver something that works operationally, you're not going to get any work. Well, you failed. You're yeah, doomed yeah. from that point onwards. It doesn't yeah. matter how gorgeous it looks. If it doesn't work, it doesn't work. Exactly. How important has it been, David, for the studio to be well-known within its own industry and the wider building community for you to achieve the success that you have? We certainly get recommended for work by, um, by, con by contractors, by project managers that we've worked with who like the way that, the, the very thorough way that we approach work. Um, and I think the biggest and the most important thing is, is we, it sounds cheesy, but we really do like to attract incredibly talented designers and I think that's where the peer recognition is very important is, um, is, is it kind of helps us to recruit particularly good people. In order to try and understand what you have to do first you've got to go back right to your values and your mission statement and mine is always make your current client happy because your pipeline isn't isn't going to be there if your current client starts being incredibly unhappy and saying to all of their friends or to their project manager or to their architect, you know, I can't believe these people, they promised the earth and now look at them. So, you know, referrals have been hugely important um, and, you know, to the point about being recognized by the industry, I find that more important than being recognized by it's hugely, public. It's and, and, you know, by public, I don't say fame or anything, mm. but, you know, Instagram or my mother, or you know, whoever they're like, because the industry knows how hard it is to do this job. Yeah. And so, if they that. say yeah. they're nice to work with, or you know, they know what they're talking about, that means a huge amount yeah. to me. Yeah. Agreed. Definitely. Yes. So we we have a we have a particular project manager or big big project management company actually that come to us whenever a project is so difficult that no one else can take it on. It's like thanks, thank you. Can't Isn't that called just, a hospital pass? Yeah. Just, <laughs> just, <laughs> couldn't you just give me a nice one for a change? But you know, it's enormously satisfying because mm. they recognise us as being a safe pair of hands. So it's huge. I love that. I sometimes find though when we're referred by the business, you know, the industry to a client, as opposed to that they found us um, organically, that they're then 
thinking with their head versus thinking with their heart. So I find that I don't win a lot of projects if I've been put in the race by someone on the kind of business side of it. Um, we're a safe pair of hands, we'll deliver it, we're nice to work with, yada, yada. The, the client's almost more like, oh, but I don't, I don't feel it. So there's, there's something... But I think the client still has to feel it. You know, you might get the introductions yeah, from being I a safe do. pair of yeah. hands. You yeah. then still yeah. have to sell your design. And if your design mm. isn't standing up, then you won't get that job. And, and particularly with bigger projects where there's, you know, horrendous RFP process mm. that you need to go through. Mm. So we, we, you can be put on an RFP by multiple sources. It could be the contractor. It could be, uh, it could be a project manager that you've worked with. It could be the client directly. It could be any number of people. But once you're on... Once you've got that RFP, you've got to deliver it. And that will be one partly on commercial terms, but I always think primarily because the client falls in love with the studio and wants to work with you. And you, you've perhaps shown them cre some creative, you've shown them relative stuff. Th th they want your vision. Uh, they don't want your uh, scale drawings. They know they're going to mm. get those. So. It is said that fortune favours the brave. Do interior design businesses need to be brave to be successful? How courageous are toll guard? Our uh, business plan for the first five years was don't go bankrupt. Um, it was very, very brave. Um, and when we go back to lecture or give students talks, we try and talk people out of starting their own firm for at least two years. You know, we say, get paid by someone else to make mistakes and learn. Um, and then, when you really are sure that you know what you're doing, fine, you know, start your own business. Um, Stefan often wishes that he'd, he'd started a little bit later, but, um, you know, we, we are where we are. So, I think my dad said to me one day, um, you know, Mon, you've, you've set your, your bus stop up, and the buses keep coming. Right? There might not be a bus for a little while, but you know three are going to come because you picked a good corner. Stop worrying. And I really wish I could listen to him. But, you know, we, you keep on having to, yeah, to be brave. What sort of bus routes have you got, David? <laughs> <laughs> Buses. Um, I, I, I worry a little bit about bravery. Um, I, I had an American boss once who always used to say, you don't want to be a pioneer. You can always spot the pioneers. They're the ones with the arrows in their backs. And, <laughs> and, and I think that's something to be a little, bit, a little bit wary of. I think confidence, perhaps rather than bravery, is, is, is an important thing. Um, and we, were, you know, we mentioned this the other day, but you know, the confidence to be able to say no is, is, a, very important, uh, is a very important business lesson to learn. But, Bravery in the sense of, you know, wanting to do things to be different for the sake of being different, and I, I'm not sure that that works. And in terms of the projects that you're working on, you're a bean counter. I think you, you're <laughs> happy to Guilty. reveal that to the audience here. Um, how do you measure the, the profitable, successful ones? Are they the same thing? Well, it's, yeah, well, from my perspective, yes. Um, <laughs> but we were talking about this internally when, when, when we saw the theme of, of, of today's podcast. And actually, what's quite interesting is, depending on who you talk to in the studio about what, what is a successful project, you get different answers from everybody you talk to. The designers all say things like, it's all about the quality of the projects and the personality of the client. Those two 
things kind of going hand in hand. And then the HR manager will say something not dissimilar, actually, because it's those quality of projects that brings people into the studio. And of course, she also wants a very happy, she wants a very happy team, and uh, she wants us to be considered a good employer. Uh, our Marcom's team will say that success is all about uh, the AVE that they've generated uh, during the year. And let me explain it's that another acronym. acronym sorry, yeah. <laughs> that's advertising value equivalent, which is a uh, marketing speak for how many column inches you can generate and how many followers we've got on. on. So that, they'll look at it from that perspective. I'll just go profit and cash, but kind of everybody, everybody has a different perspective. Um, ultimately, for me, uh, it's profit because because profit is literally existential. You know, you, you, or in fact, cash is existential. Well, you, you can't keep doing what you're doing if you can't pay for it. Yeah. Yeah. Is it all about the bottom line for you, Monique? No, I think... So Stefan and I, you know, both came from a storytelling background. Um, and, and we both have that sort of quite left brain, right brain, you know, creative and engineering in both sides. So I think, you know, on the one side we have hearts and on the other side we have pounds. Um, and so a successful project for us is a three-heart, three-pound project where you can, you know, you have a great budget to do something incredible with. You get paid um, to do that. You have a fantastic client who shares your design values and design DNA, so you're not kind of wrestling for direction. Um, they're nice to work with. You have the time to make it um, a pleasant design journey for you as a... Um, as a principal, but also for your design team as well, so that everyone has that time to be creative mm. and not, you know, just... It's not a knee-jerk. Exactly, it's mm. not a knee-jerk, or that you're all, you know, I'm so sorry, it's another late night, it's another late night. Um, the worst are the, you know, one heart, no pound projects, where you realise, you know, you've got to take it for cash flow because yeah. actually your design team is a little bit big and there's a, a hole that you don't know how to fill um, in the pipeline. So, I mean, to your point again, the ability now to say no yeah. um, and to be brave about saying no yeah. and saying, you know, we're going to hold out because actually if we take a, um, a bad project, that's actually an opportunity cost. So, you know, a successful project might win awards. Um, a successful project might, you know, get lots of likes. If Simon Rawlings, our creative director, had been sitting mm. here, you would have got a very different answer from him, I suspect, mm. which would have been all about um, kind of aesthetics and, and operational elements and all of that kind of stuff. Nothing is wasted. You will have learned on that. You will have learned how to deal yeah. with a difficult client. You will have learned what not to do. Um, your team, you know, will have understood the next time you say, no, we're not taking that one, you know, why they're not disappointed yeah. that, you know, you didn't go for it. Um, so, you know, you have to extract the marrow out of every project successful or not. I really agree with that on everything. I, I really like uh, interviewing people, even if I don't really need to be doing the interview, because you always learn something mm. new from every conversation with somebody. There's always something that, that is going to be useful or exciting somewhere down the road. And do you have any tips? Maybe this is a good one for David. Tips for maximising profit in a project. <laughs> What's is this about? Because you know, as as it, we we actors, you know, we actors we actors 
professionals, as we produce design information, then we act as retailers, we sell stuff. Um, where should the balance lie to maximise the profit? I think maximising profit is a very, in its own, for its, for its, as, a, as an end to itself, is a very dangerous thing to do. Mm. I think we don't, we, we, we price our projects on the basis of uh, what's our charge-out rates, how much time do we expect that we're going to need to spend on the project, that's what the price is. And the way that you would be maximising that is if you're spending significantly less time on the project than you thought you were going to need to. And honestly, that's, that's, that's not going to work because you're not going to be able to do to the job. The you're job. not going to be able no. to deliver the job properly. And that's, you know, that's... Uh, you might think that you're maximising profit in the short term, but you're just going to kill the business in the long term. So it's not... It's, um, I think the key... Is, is working out what is the appropriate level of profit and really understanding your numbers, mm. understanding properly how much time it's going to take to do a job, understanding properly what your costs and your overheads are so that you can work out uh, accurately what your charge-out rates should be. When, you, when you've got those sides together, then the price that you put in for the project will be the right price. And if you win it, great. If you don't win it, well, it wouldn't have worked on a different on a, on a lower pricing level anyway. And, uh, but yeah, maximising it for the sake of kind of profit gouging or whatever the term is is it's not a good thing to do. And I think there's such an um, inherent suspicion of our industry that being able to open your books at any point mm. is so yeah. important. I I say to you know if, if my team makes a mistake, absolutely fine. We're just going to tell the client because mm -hmm. I want to sleep at night. And the only way that I can do that is at any point if they want to see what we paid for something, what we said. Open yeah. book policy. That you, that yeah. you, yeah. you can do it. And any the piece of paper relating yeah. to their project yeah. at any time. Yeah. 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 yeah, agreed. Because we're we're on their side. We're trying to add value to in residential yeah. terms, you know, their most important asset. And they've, you know, they've got to trust us. And also they are increasingly savvy. The internet allows people to work out kind of the prices for everything. Mm. So the only way to run that kind of business is is, is, is in a kind of an, an open, transparent way. And you know, it's not gonna work otherwise. And always to be able to justify your value. You know, when I get into negotiations with people, I, it, it used to be, before I had that sort of granular approach that you're saying, right, really understand every part of the project, really understand how long it's going to take to do everything, we'd sort of come up with a bit of a number and say, right, it's going to be this much. And the client would say, what about 20% less? And you'd go, um, how much do I need this project? Okay, fine. Now I can say, okay, well, what services do you not want? What deliverables should I take yeah. out? Because yeah. I can open my modules up to you and see, you know, I'm going to do this many sketch-ups, I'm going to deliver this many elevations, Absolutely. I'm going to spend this much yeah. time on concept. No problem. I can reduce your investment in this, but, but you tell me what you don't need to see. And, it, and it's the same with uh, FF&E procurement as well, all the way down the line. Clients, clients have to be given complete transparency. Mm. And, you know... Um, we call it control. You're in control. Uh, yeah, it's your budget. Absolutely. No problem. Yeah. You don't want to spend this much? Absolutely fine. That's a nice way of looking at it. Where are we going to adjust the budget? And David, do you have any key performance indicators that you apply to measure success? You don't want death by KPIs. But I think outside of the core project financial stuff, which is really, you know, is crucial, we look at um, a couple of 
possibly unusual things like what is the average uh, life cycle of one of our projects? So um, we discovered recently that, that uh, for some of, well, for our restaurants, for our F&B hospitality projects, the average project uh, has a 17-year life cycle, that is which, is, which is absolutely extraordinary. Because the industry average is five to seven yeah. years or something uh, like that. And it works on so many levels. It's, it's return on investment for the client who's, who's buying. It's sustainability, actually, mm -hmm. in, a, in, a, in a strange kind of way, although 17 years ago, you wouldn't have, that wouldn't have been a reason for doing it. So, so we look at that you know, kind of once a year or something, because it doesn't change that frequently. The other ones that we look at are, I mentioned it earlier, HR, look at staff retention, mm. because that's really important, staff retention and internal promotion. Um, the new business team, we measure every year or so, what's their hit rate, what's their, you know, what's their conversion rate? And it's quite interesting how, how that varies according to the economic cycle. Um, so those are, those are the, the main sorts of things that we look at. About three years ago, I hired um, an amazing architect as our um, technical director. And I said, Oscar, I just want a red light or a green light. I want to know if things are going okay and I can just concentrate on projects. Or red, no money coming in, go out and network furiously. Red, green. And he was like, right, okay. So three years later, um, nearly there. I've got things in red and things in green where I can look at a project and understand um, essentially how deep a hole we're in, in terms of how much interior design um, we've done, how many hours we've done, and the, the, you know, wh where the fees might take us. Um, and I can look at projected income. We've, we've tried so hard to do cash flow forecasts, and mm. it's not very easy because it's too lumpy. You know, you, you mm. procure for 500K and you're thinking, yes, and then desert for a really long time. Mm. So the, the cash flow wasn't yeah. particularly helpful. Um, so, so I have that, and now I can start. I mean, we've been doing this 17 years. It sounds dreadful that we're only starting to do it now. But when we were smaller, I think Stefan and I had a really intuitive sense of there's money in the bank. We're really, really busy. We can't talk to each other. Things are great. <laughs> or actually, we've got far too much to say to each other. Um, probably we need some more projects. So the so lack the of conversation in the Tolkien household is a good indicator. <laughs> 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 the, the other thing that, the, the, that we look at with the new business um, performance, which is really important, and I have no idea how I forgot it before, but yes, what's the conversion rate? But the mm. other thing is, what's the ratio of business that we're winning from existing clients to new clients, because yeah. because um, the, the the previous new business win uh, wins from previous clients is super important, and you know we 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 are very fortunate that we've got some amazing clients who we've been working with for years and years and years, and Harrods for example, that's absolutely extraordinary. But you also want a very healthy amount of new business because new clients bring new ideas, bring new mm. approaches. You, you want a mix of both. So that's the other, the other KPI. And also unforeseen things can happen in the commercial world where you might have had a relationship with one particular person in Harrods, for example, and that person moves on or changes and they want to demonstrate their skill by bringing in you know, a new broom. Yep. Um, and you can lose something that you've relied on as a business very easily, quite quickly. Yep. So you do always yep. have to have a balance, mm. yep. definitely. But for me, one of those sort of checkboxes of success, you know, now having had to really think about it for this podcast, repeat clients are a huge 
marker of success. Um, you know, that they come back to you with either another house or a refresh or, um, you know, a different chapter. That, that to me, is, is, is fantastic. Well, that's success. That's so mm. flattering yeah. that someone, yeah. you know, appreciated what you did for them to such an extent that they want you to yeah. do it again. Someone emailed after 10 years today, um, and I asked him if we could put it on our testimonial page. He said, I just love this house. The design still feels as fresh as it did 10 years ago. Wow. You know, it makes you just feel... I actually have um, a folder in my inbox called Happy Emails. It's not very <laughs> full. But I do. I put them in because occasionally it's quite nice just to look back and think, oh... On a cold winter's Monday morning, you open it up and... <laughs> well, generally, they're like... What's it in Harry Potter? You know, howlers that kind of come screeching into your inbox and you open them like, yeah. oh, God, Steph, read it to me. How bad is it? Um, so I like to look at the happy ones <laughs> from time to time. I was going to ask, too, are there, are there parts of the project, if you're looking at the sort of... You, Monique, you were saying you, you mm. kind of measure the hours you're spending against your feet. Are there any kind of pitfall areas, bits of the project that you... That are, that are more subject to losing money on than others? The area where the whole team want to spend all their time and spend far too much time. The problem, the problem for me as a non-designer and as a, as, a, as a suit who spent his entire life working with creative people is creative people, for creative people, the project is never finished. It doesn't matter what your deadline is, right up until the last minute they're wanting to make changes because they've just thought about this and what about that. And, and all of that happens in concept. Once your, once your concept has been frozen and you get into the, you know, the drawing stages and the execution and all that kind of stuff, it's, um, it's a lot easier to kind of plan it and to curb people's enthusiasm. <laughs> and, and, you know, of all the problems that you've got to deal with, people wanting to spend too much time for their clients on their concepts and, and, and having too much enthusiasm, that's actually a pretty nice problem to that's have. That's a great problem, yeah, yeah. yeah. How important is it, do you think, to have a design studio? How many staff do you need to employ to be seen as successful? I don't want to put a number on it, but I think it's important to have enough people in your studio to do what you love doing. So whenever we talk to people about starting their own practice, I say, do you love design? And they're like, yeah, I love it. And is that all you want to do? You just want to be creative all the time? Yeah. Don't start your own business, I then say, because what you will actually do is accounts and VAT and HR and CDM, Lovely. and you'll learn all of these things, and you <laughs> won't have the right insurance, and, and you still have why to wouldn't you just get paid for doing what you love doing by someone else? I, I don't understand it all. Whereas if you're an entrepreneur and you want to change things and you can't have a boss, and fine, go and you know, start your own business. Um, so... If you have started your own business and you realize that you're not doing what you love, then you really do need to scale up quite quickly so that you can delegate properly and start doing what you love again. doing again. It's, it's a big old marketplace. There's room for lots and lots of design studios of all different shapes and sizes from the fabulously you know, eccentric one-man bands through to the really big international you know, architecture practices. There's, there's room for everybody. And I think what is important is for your own personal satisfaction mm. that you find yourself working in one of the places that works for you. If you're the kind of person that wants to be in a really small studio, then work in a really small studio. If you want to be in a, in a really big one because, you know, you get off on people's energy and that kind mm. of way, then that's what you should do. I don't think there's a right or a wrong or an optimum number. A lot of successful interior designers work abroad. 
how important is it to be seen as a global interior designer or a design studio to, to be seen as being successful? Okay, so currently about 70-odd percent of our, of our work is, is international, is outside the UK. Um, and we've done... We, we've worked in an awful lot of... Is that a constant, or does that yeah, vary? Yeah, I was going to say, that's, that's been that way really for quite a long right. time. And, and I think the important thing for us is we're, we're not collecting Panini stickers we're not, that, we, that we can stick in. Oh, here's a, n a new country that we haven't done before. There's, there, there isn't some kind of you know, colonial expansionist thing going on. We try and follow um, where we think the best projects are. It's very much driven by you know what is a fantastic project. So when we get the opportunity to do uh, a new uh, hotel concept on a fan on the Delaire Winery in Cape Town, we've never done anything there before, but we'll go there and do that because it's an amazing project. So we've done uh, we've worked in a lot of countries, and, and and that has another benefit for the team as well mm. because it's fundamentally different to be getting on an aeroplane and going out to Cape Town to work on a project or you know yes. to mm. be going up to Manchester I say Manchester because I'm from Manchester so I can I can you know I can say that so so that has all sorts of benefits for the, for the team as well to be work you know they loved working in Japan and Korea you know they really really adored those projects um, so but it's not driven by you know oh it's Wednesday let's do let's yes. do Germany it, it, it's not it's it's not about it's not about that at all but I think the other thing that we did notice was when um, when COVID first uh, first became a thing, and you know, and we, we thought about this a little bit on Brexit as well. When when the world was looking like a, an unpleasant place, we were actually quite happy that uh, we didn't have all of our eggs in one basket. Mm. We weren't all in the UK, or we weren't all in Hong Kong, mm. we weren't all in South America, or whatever. We were kind of a little bit all over the place, and I think that diversification. Uh, is is healthy. is very healthy mm. if you can mm. do it, yeah. Yeah, and and you you do a lot of work abroad as well. We do. I was just thinking why, because actually we didn't you know court it at all. And I think you know perhaps because I'm South African, Steph's Swedish. You know we don't have an intrinsically English tone of voice in our design. Um, maybe that's been part of our appeal to very international families, um, and so therefore you know most of our clients have a home in London and then we've been asked, you know, to do something abroad. Um, I mean, I find working abroad really challenging. I love it, but, but you're constantly coming up against, oh God, who's going to do the curtains? Because I trust my people here. You know, do I fly them out? That seems totally unsustainable, you know, to do yep. that. So y your markers of value and quality that you stand by uh, and also, um, uh, you know, value for money, value, are you're, you're suddenly trying to, you know, reinvent the wheel. So whenever someone, I mean, I've, I've had two very exciting kind of proposals. Oh, we want to do something. It's going to be the Dubai of, you know, insert country name. And I'm like, yes. And then I think, oh, it's going to be really hard. I don't know which floor you know, suppliers gonna actually do what they promise. Um, I'm gonna have to, I'm gonna have to start again. So. Uh, I mean, I think over the years, we've built up a certain number of internal systems and processes that help us to be able to manage, to manage mm. different cultures, different time zones, different languages. Um, but yeah, that's fun. That thing that you're articulating <laughs> there. That's fun, he said, because he doesn't Pioneer, have to do it. Pioneer, arrows in your back. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I remember that yeah, one. Yeah, yeah. yeah. 
But it, it's, it, I mean, the problem is it's managing the quality remotely. Yes, You know, it if is. you can't find the builder or you don't know what the curtains are going to be like, um, you know, and, and actually, ultimately, the designer wears it because the client won't be happy. It's very difficult. Your team is, is enormous, actually. Mm, now, you huge. know, that black yes. book of, yeah. you know, I'm definitely going to use this person on that, and they didn't let me down on this, and, you know, so on. Your, your, your A team, all of a sudden, are really... Well, I mean... And we were having a conversation earlier um, this evening um, over the nuts where um, we <laughs> talked about the fact that the last project, uh, the last project that we did in New York... Uh, a lot of the FF&E was, uh, was brought in from the UK. And the project, the, one of the projects that we're doing there, not in New York, but in Chicago at the moment, the client is absolutely explicit that everything has to be sourced in the States because of all the, uh, all the problems that everybody is having at the moment with, um, with supply chains. You know, it doesn't matter where you are. Everything is, 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 is a mess at the moment. Mm -hmm. So the risk, of, uh, the risk is amplified if you're bringing things in from the UK or Europe or you know, Italy or whatever. So, uh, yeah, I think these, these things change all the time as well. Yeah, no, and I suppose being successful is partly is having the skill to manage those mm. swings and roundabouts. So what gives you the most personal satisfaction, Monique? So as a designer, it's when my clients are really happy and maybe I've gone beyond. So I talk about that quite a lot. Like, did we go beyond? Did we add value? Um, one of... Um, one of my clients, I mean, it was incredible. He just said, look, Mon, I'm going to bring um, my suits and I'm not bringing them on the hangers, right? Everything, everything is for you to do. So it was turnkey in the most extraordinary way. Um, and he was a bachelor and I knew he didn't really cook. So, but I thought, well, he might, he might cook one day. So I just, I did everything that I thought could be needed and he called me one day and he said, you know, my mom came to visit um, and she wasn't very well. And so I had to take her tea in her room. And I looked through all of the cupboards and there was a tray and there was a teapot and there were cups. And I brought her, you know, tea in bed. And honestly, I, I remember that. That was, I mean, I was pregnant at the time. So it was either 12 or 14 years ago. And I remember that. So to, as a designer, that's a, a measure of success. As a business owner, I am hugely proud um, of the people, strangely, who have left us, who have gone on to form successful businesses of their own, who I'm still friends with, who I mentor from time to time. Um, as a daughter who my mom wanted to be a teacher, I'm very proud that I teach at Inchbald and that, you know, the students are interested and most of them stay awake most of the time. Um, and as a mother, I'm really proud that um, yesterday I watched an entire cricket match without looking at my phone once. <laughs> no, I am, because they're long. My God, cricket is really, really long. 20 overs, both sides, and I can tell you what happened in the match. Because five years ago, I was not um, concentrating. I was, you know, yeah, yeah, I see you, I see you. But, but actually, I was solving some sort of crisis. So I really trust my team that, you know, if there was something... I trust my team. So, you know, if I go through those... And as a wife, I'm really happy that we're still married. So, there we go. <laughs> and that I work, I've worked with my husband for, you know, 17 years. Hey, match that, David. Hats. <laughs> Where are your hats? Well, I, I, think, I think I mentioned earlier about the fact that different people in the studio all measure success in different ways. I think I, 
I get huge satisfaction, of course, out of how amazing our projects are. I mean, I visited one last night, uh, the night before last, it was just spectacular. So I love all of that. I obviously um, take a great deal of uh, pleasure, I guess, um, in kind of making sure the business functions as it should do. But if you're asking me personally, I would say that as one of the older members of the DCS, David Conley Studio community, I think one of the things that I get really the most pleasure out of is watching the development of the younger people in the studio. There's, there's, there's um, the, one particular thing, for example, every, all, all the designers in their appraisals every year, when it's, you know, what training needs have you got? What would you like to do? They all say, we want to do presentation training. We, want to, we, we need presentation training. Um, because designers, I think, are really scared or initially of kind of standing up in front of people and presenting. So we, 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 we do um, a very, very simple, very nice uh, little kind of introduction to presentation at course in the studio. So there is nothing that gives me greater pleasure than seeing people who have said they're terrified of presenting, have been through the presentation training that we operate internally, and then you see them standing up at a Friday morning workshop, talking and showing off the projects that they're working on, and you see people's personal mm -hmm. development in that way. And I know it sounds horrifically cheesy, and I apologize for that, but it's just brilliant. That's what it's all about, is watching people develop. How do you define the best sorts of clients to help you be successful? Who are those clients that bring success with them? I mean, I say to my team quite a lot of the time, they're not our friends. Right, so it's not someone that you'd necessarily want to be friends with. I think there has to be a mutual respect. Um, I sometimes think to some clients, we're artists. To some clients, you know, Stefan is the wizard. I am, I don't know. So I, I call myself the witch. I said we could be the wizard, <laughs> the witch with the wardrobes. You must be a bit of an artist I think, to, to have the, or, or at least they must see you that way, because if you are um, staff, I, I don't think they'll ever respect you enough to, to, to be led or to take your advice properly. So I can tell pretty quickly, actually, from the first meeting where I am in, in that sort of hierarchy. A client with a vision a client with a clear brief, a client that lets you get on with it, and a client that pays their bills. How mm. often does that happen? <laughs> it does happen. No, it, it definitely does happen. But a clear brief? The clear a brief. The clear, the clear, <laughs> I mean, yeah. no, I mean the, seriously. The, well, yeah, I know. <laughs> but it's, it's not just the fact that they have a clear brief. It's also the fact that having given you that clear brief, they let you get on with it. Mm. That's, that's the, sometimes the challenge. Yes, indeed. Okay, David, how can you manage a team of creatives to be successful? Uh, I would say that we don't manage the creatives, we support the creatives, we give them the platform on which they can do their amazing stuff, I would say. Mm. Um, you don't want to control or constrain creatives. There are certain processes that everybody has to do in the studio, but I would say that the business team at David Conley Studio exists to give the platform to the unbelievably talented designers to do their magic. But then I suppose, based on what you were saying just a minute ago, that perhaps managed is the wrong word, maybe it's developed. Maybe there is, maybe the management equates to development. You're bringing, you're taking these incredibly talented people, but making them even more so, and giving them some support by some business them, yeah, rigor yeah. that then enables them to actually 
deliver the vision. I'd like to think so. Yeah, yeah. that's cool. Do successful interior designers enjoy a good work-life balance? Oh, we try. <laughs> I, just, just for the benefit of people that can't actually see what's going on here. That are listening <laughs> We're both grimacing. They're, they're, they're grimacing and shuddering at this yeah. point. Um, you know, I had such an interesting lunch with someone today who's three years um, into her practice out of, out of Inchboard. Um, I just kept looking at her thinking, God, your skin is so good. And then I just realized it's youth. It's just so annoying. Um, and, you know, it was, you know, she described the age of her children. I thought, oh, God, I vaguely remember that. Yeah, that's when I looked at them climbing the kind of Princess Diana ship, going, no, 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 you're fine, darling, go higher. You know, as I tried <laughs> to answer, you know, whatever client needed me more than my five-year-old. Um, and I said, you know, we've been sprinting for a really, really long time. Um, and, you know, for me, success would be, moving to a jog, um, you know, at any, at any point soon. And I, and I look, I am a busy person and I love to be busy and I love the adrenaline and the energy, the energy and so on. But, you know, I, I think certainly COVID, um, you know, with more people being at home and, you know, we're designing people's homes, right? We're constantly talking about the importance of family and rituals and, you know, my marketing speakers very much and we're developing these rituals and you know, I don't know. If you ask my children, when they're cross with me, they will say, but Mama, all you do is work. And when I tell them to get off their phones, they'll say, but you're always on your phone. I mean, I have a lanyard. It's actually physically attached to my body most of the time. So, you know, it's a work in progress, I think. Much as I was, you know, success, I think, is a work in progress. I have often said, you know, I'm more of a verb than a noun. But I would... I would like to move it to a slightly, you know, so that I was in focus more of the time rather than, you know, just sort so of darting is, is through. The, is the success, the success piece in that then, mm. being able to control that balance? Because, I mean, some people, for some people, a work-life balance might be very little life and a lot of work. Mm. Yes, but of course, if that's what you if want. If that's what you want. She was saying, she was listening to a podcast with someone, a hugely successful designer, a little bit like Anna Wintour. You know, you read about her and she gets up at four and then she plays tennis for two hours and then her hair gets, you know, put back on again. And, and I think that's amazing, but, oh, it sounds like really hard work. And, oh, you know, I don't know, all my hair would fall out if I had it blow-dried that much. <laughs> so, so it's what success looks like for yeah. you, right? Um, I, I think there used to be this uh, this view that you know you needed to get to work at five o'clock in the morning and work until eleven o'clock mm. at night, and if you didn't do that, you weren't doing your job Working properly. Working hard enough, yeah. And, and I think that's fooey. I really don't. I really don't buy that. But but there is also an inevitability about what we do for a living, mm. which is this is a completely deadline-driven industry. Mm. Yeah. And you can't escape from the fact that when you've got a deadline looming, there's going to be some bonkersness because mm. there, just, there just always is. And I think the trick is to set your deadlines appropriately to the extent that you can do and then to try and manage the time that it that is away from those deadlines so that you have got a decent work-life balance. Because mm. um, I don't think there's any point in, in, in saying to uh, 
you know, saying to interior designers that it's just going to be a nine-to-five job forever because it just yeah, isn't. Right. There are yeah. deadlines yeah, at you know, right. every stage of the project. And, and mm -hmm. the, you know, people are so dedicated. They, they really want to stay and they want to give the best of themselves. And I find myself often saying to my team, go home, please. Mm. <laughs> Tomorrow's another day. And it's trying to work out you know, what really can be done tomorrow and, and being able to say to the client, you know, here are the reasons why this isn't going to happen. Somebody said something to me quite funny recently. It was like, no one's dead. No one's dying, mm. but the sofa is going to be late. You know, when you've been doing it for a number of years, you have to say, right, you know, we did something cool today. We're going to celebrate it. You know, we won something. We're going to celebrate it. We're going to, I don't know, next week or something, we're going to go and climb trees in Battersea because and, and, and no one will want to leave. You know, we're going to have to prise them away <laughs> from their desks because there will be something that, you know, needs, needs to, to go done. out. But we've also got to remember that it's meant to be fun. Yeah. Otherwise, we would have been brain surgeons. <laughs> you know, we wanted to do this, and it is a creative industry, yeah. so. Yeah. And David, how do design businesses succeed when the principal is no longer part of the business? Well, that's a very poignant question for our studio. I think there were three very important things that happened um, at the time that David Collins died. The first was that... Uh, there was a very strong management team in place. Mm. So it was not a one-man band. There, were, there, there, was, there was a strong executive team. The second thing that happened, and is generally why we always worry about this, is there was a decent pipeline, mm. not just of existing projects, but of potential projects. And the third is there was the ability to deliver those projects properly. And I think that if you've, you know, Succession requires you to be able to deal with those points. And, and, I, and I think that probably the David Collins studio situation would have been very different had, had that not been the case. But um, there was a really strong management team in place. There was a decent pipeline of pro projects. And we did some... Um, I, I joined the studio after David Collins. I was kind of you know, you know, um, part of the, the, the next generation. And... People talked about him quite a lot, and we did some we did some customer research where we talked to a lot of existing and previous clients about, you know, whether there was any perception that anything was different in the way that the studio worked, and and it, and it turns out that the projects um, were were deemed to be managed just as well. The creativity was just was was just as good, and uh, I think that is a terrific, mm. terrific testament to that team of people that were there at the time that he passed away because they did a blooming good job of it. But it's not, you can't take that for granted. Okay, Monique, can you tell us about the career moment that made you feel most successful as a designer and why? Well, I told you that I joined the, um, the company two years after Steph and that I worked my way up from the bottom. So it used to be... Um, Stefan Tolgard Design Group, sorry. And in fact, over our, over our one shop, it still does say Stefan Tolgard. Um, and, uh, you know, for a long time, I was, you know, the wife or the partner or so on. And I did get a bit sort of cross about that. Um, and so I think after about 10 years, I said, look, could we, you know, could, could we sort of acknowledge the partnership? Um, and so we changed the business to Tolgard Design Group. You know, which was fine. Um, but one client um, who, you know, was, was my client only, um, met Steph um, at, a, at an event. And um, 
he introduced himself and she said, oh, um, do you work in design as well? <laughs> I thought, yes. <laughs> I was, I mean, it's a silly story and it's probably not the right one. Um, and when I said to Steph, I would tell it, he said, no, 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 don't tell that one. Uh, but, but it was, it was really nice because actually when you do join later and, and it, it is a sort of a partnership, you know, for me, that was very nice. I also have really enjoyed, um, you know, being asked to judge, so, you know, Inchboard have asked um, me to judge their, their levers. And I've, you know, that was fantastic as well. But as I say, success is a verb. It's constantly moving and shifting. So there's not really one, one moment. And you, you know, these little things come along and you have to savour them. So, David, what's the, most, what's the key moment for you that's made you feel most successful as a... Well, obviously, you're not a designer, but as someone who's a key part of... or the key part of the management yeah, I, team of a I, major I, studio. I, I don't know. I mean, <laughs> the, there, are, there are moments when you uh, negotiate a particularly interesting contract that you just think, wow, that was really, really good fun. Or you hire a particularly fantastic... You, the, you just get days where you kind of skip home and, mm. and everything feels fantastic. But I think that, you know, if, if you... Particularly we, we now... We those days, we're winning. This is what winning feels like, we say, to remind ourselves. No, I, I yeah, just... but, 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 but I would just say, going, going back to the, the earlier comments about watching people develop, there are a few people in the studio who have just blossomed in the time that they've been at the studio. And, and I'm not saying that's down to me. That's down to the whole team and the projects and the way that we all work. But seeing people develop in that way, that's kind of, that's, that's what it's about. That's, that's what really makes I, me... I think the, the, the joy for me is that still after nearly 30 years of doing this, I still am planning what I'm going to do this, that day while I'm in the shower. What are my key? Mm. What, what do I have to do mm. today? And I'm, and I'm skipping, I burst out my front door every morning and I go to the studio and it's just every day, it's just a joy. So is that success? <laughs> yes. Bottle it, sell it. <laughs> I get, to the, I I get to the studio really early in the morning, generally before other people, because there's kind of an hour, yeah. maybe an hour and a half, when you can hour. actually do what you need to do, and thereafter, carnage ensues, mm. and you can never predict That's what's it. going to happen, and, and you're driven by events. But mm. there's that little bit at the beginning of the morning that you can control, which is quite nice. Fabulous. Okay, round of applause, please. <laughs> Thank you, Monique and David, for a wonderful evening. Fascinating to hear your thoughts on what it means to be a truly successful interior designer. And thank you also to Roca and the Chelsea Design Quarter for hosting us here tonight. You can find the interior design business on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and on-demand services everywhere. We're on Instagram at Interior Design Business Pod. This episode is a Wildwood production. <laughs> <laughs>